everybody. We are back. Welcome to episode seven of More Than the Title. I'm your host, as usual, Jared Thomas. And today we've got a special, special guest and a special episode. So I want to set the table. Usually I go through like your past, your, your titles and stuff like that. But I just want to tell people about the interaction. So I think me and Jorgen met maybe about a couple of months ago, maybe even close to a year now. I feel like it's just time is just flying. But we met organically through content, man. And we've just been supporting each other throughout the journey, man. We, we share, we comment on each other's stuff. We big each other up. And I went in our first conversation to be here and share expertise and share some stories and, and have that vibe with you guys. So as you guys know, this is more than a title. We'll go through some web 3.0 stuff. We'll talk about marketing, but it's all about Jorgen. We're going to have a conversational two-way street thing and we're going to have some fun. But so everybody, let's please welcome Jorgen Abo. How's it going, brother? Well, thank you, man. Thank you for all that. And uh, so much love, you know, like for sure. I think, yeah, I think our connection is a good example, a real example of what LinkedIn and these kinds of platforms can do. Um, I feel like sometimes we overhype the stuff a little bit. It's like community this. And community. But like, <laughs> you really do strike gold sometimes. Right. And and I think that's what this is about. So I'm, I'm yeah. truly excited to be chatting with you, man. Likewise, brother. That's I, I tell people that all the time. I think our first conversation was uh I was like, man, don't worry, I'm not gonna pitch you. <laughs> I think it was something like that. I said to you, I was like, don't worry about it, bro. There's no cold email coming, none of that. You're not in the CRM. I hope you're not. And it's like <laughs> well, you know what I think what caught my attention though originally with you and like you know, I always kind of fall into this like trap of just assuming that other people are into the type of things I'm into, but like there was something about the Bronx, right? And yeah. as like a true hip hop nerd, you know, for the weird kid growing up in Norway, you know, I was just like, man, I, I got to comment on that. Like, it's not every day I just interact with somebody who's from, you know, BX, right? Really? Like on LinkedIn, I'm like, okay, like, let's see what this is about. And so I'm, it may be a little unfair, you know, to assume that like, yeah, you're like deep into this hip hop stuff. Let's just go right to it. But I, I did you know, that, that's what it is for me, man. Like when we can also find like what people are actually about, which is why I love this thing too, more than a title. Like what, what do we care about? Where do we actually come from? What are, what are we really bringing with us to these types of conversations? You know, that that's, you hit the nail on the head, man. So for instance, right? Like, so for everybody listening, had we not had that experience, maybe I've not said something about the Bronx, right? We wouldn't have had the connection. Now Jorgen's like, yo, man, it's the birthplace of hip hop. I know you're a rap fan. And we just started talking about 90s hip hop, the golden era and all that cool stuff. And when you come to the Bronx, bro, I'm taking you to Cedric Avenue to the birthplace of hip hop. You let me know whenever oh, you're in the Bronx. Big. Taking you to the building where um, where um, um, Cool Herc and all that started it. So, man, it's wow. like 10 minutes from me. But um, that's, that's really, big. really big. You know, that's big. And I'll admit, though, you know, having been in California for about 20 years, I'm, I'm definitely, you know, a bit of a West Coast kind of guy. It's all love, man. It's all love and nothing but respect. We know where it all started. That's it, brother. That's it, man. So like, I, I love this conversation. For those listening, man, this is what the power of being all your authentic self is, right? I told somebody, like, say, for instance, they're like, hey, why are you posting family stuff? Or why are you posting, you know, stuff? I don't care if I post a medium rare steak. Jorgen might be at a steakhouse at Benjamin's right now. Ooh. And he's like, holy crap, I just had a medium rare. Is that the porterhouse? Is that this? Mm -hmm. And we start sharing stuff. And what it's all about is creating those conversations to have that genuine connection. And that's what leads to stronger relationships. And that's what leads to sales and, and you know, other things like me and Jorgen going out for drinks and hanging out and really knowing each other that's what it's about guys yeah that's i think i think such an important takeaway from what you just said is that 
it's about these intersections, right? Now, if we weren't both in tech, if we weren't both on LinkedIn, if we didn't both have some of the same kind of aspirations, then, you know, it'd be cool still to share this, this love for hip hop or whatever. We could do that on Twitter, but, but the intersection, right, of being somebody in business, in tech, marketing oriented, et cetera, but also caring about that or caring about Texas barbecue and marketing, right? Whatever, like those intersections are really powerful. Yeah. I believe as a, as a marketer too, like I think that's the opportunity that a lot of B2B brands aren't tapping into. They're sort of just assuming that it's these general things like, well, let's exactly. just wine to everybody. Everybody loves wine. And it's like, yeah, that's probably true. But what yeah. if you can find a, a, a subset of your audience that also really care about, let's say, 90s hip hop or Texas barbecue or, you know, I got to admit, I'm a Chipotle guy, too. Yeah. You know? So it's like um, when you can when you can hit at those intersections, it gets really interesting. It, it really is, man. And that was that was the whole premise of me going on LinkedIn, brother, to be honest with you. Like, mm-hmm. I just didn't want to send a thousand cold emails out. Right. So what are the ways? to connect with other customers and build authentic relationships, right? Because I've always said, like, if anybody watching this, I've said it plenty of times, relationships is currency. It mm. is currency. And when you're doing it genuine, you really want to help people. I have zero expectation for anything I do. You know what I mean? And who knows if this leads to maybe five years from now, maybe you're you're somewhere else, Jorgen, or I'm somewhere, and me and you do business. I'm like, oh, you got a new business, and this works perfectly for me. And now it's just a seamless connection. That's what it's about, guys. So. I, I don't track any of this stuff or any of that. I just do everything. I have no posting schedule. I have none of that. Yeah. No, I feel that, man. You know, I was just commenting on a post about community building. And I'm a bit of a contrarian when it comes to marketing stuff. I'm not here to shit on anything. I really am not. But I'm here to question a lot of stuff. Exactly. So one, of the things, one of the things we talk about a lot in B2B right now is like community building and stuff. And it's it's being presented as if any company can just go ahead and say like, yeah, we're just going to build a community around our stuff and everybody will love it. And it's like so, so, so far from that. Right. Um, And this person, I forget her name, but shout out to whoever it was um, said something about one-to-one relationships. And it made me realize that like everything that is meaningful in the realm of relationship and community building, et cetera, Uh has to have one-to-one. Like there is no, there's no, there's no way we have this conversation unless we have like authentic one-to-one interaction, right? Like that's where it comes from. And I think that's how communities are built. I think that's how sales opportunities are created. And I think marketing, as much as we want to talk about scale, like I think that's where it happens. One of my favorite companies in B2B is forever going to be Drift. Yeah, I don't think Drift necessarily today is the most interesting brand in B2B. I'll be that honest. But I but I just absolutely love how they got going. And, you know, DC, the man himself would say that one of the big unconventional things that they did to get that sucker started was building it brick by brick. Right. Like hand to hand combat is what he calls it. One to one. Like oh, there is one human being over there. I'm building a relationship with that person. And now I'm going to do that times, however many times I need to do it until this thing is actually moving. And yes. I think that's what it's about, man. That's amazing. And that's essentially what I, what I, that's essentially my strategy for personal branding. And I would say my favorite ones are, as far as your first one, shout out to Dave and shout out to Tommy. Man, love you, bro. He just commented. But um, I love Gong. I feel like the SDRs, the sales folks. I, I had Udi on. The, he was the first guest, uh, yes. the CEO of Gong. I saw that. Yeah, like even the janitor got a personal brand. And he was like, man, our whole thing is that we don't 
we do what's right, even if we can't measure it. And mm -hmm. that was the one takeaway that I got from that. And it was like, that's so true. In marketing organizations, we have to track everything. We have to do this. We have to make sure we gate the content so we get the leads. But what about the customer experience? What about all of that stuff, right? Like, what about that one-to-one -one relationship? I don't want to be gated for content. If you got some stuff I need, I want it now, bro. <laughs> and then I will reward you later for it because you're going to be top of mind when I'm actually doing something related to your business, right? So that's where it is. And um, I love your point on that. And I would love to, to transition, bro. Like, how did you get in? How did you get into tech, man? You, you're OG in the game. You got 20, 20 years, man. Man, you know, the, the problem with the OG status is that that means you're also old, you know, and like that, that's the uncomfortable part. Old is a blessing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think like a lot of people that started out like that are like my age or generation, like is a little bit just on accident, right? Like graduated yeah. from college. I knew I was going to be in marketing. I knew that for a very long time. But okay. I, like, I didn't know I was going to be in B2B. I didn't know I was going to be in tech. There was an opportunity with a small local like software company that was just like selling stuff to other businesses. And I was like, well, shit, yeah, I might as well jump into that. These guys seem cool. Like, let me let me see what's up. Like, there was no intention, you know, to actually have a career in tech. Like, I, I had no ability to think farther ahead than just like get a gig get some money and keep buying CDs. Like, it was that old, right? Like when we're talking like early, early 2000s when I'm graduating. So I'm just like, yeah, I just want to keep going. Um, but then of course that developed into something, you know, where my awareness for what was possible with tech, yeah. you know, that, that heightened pretty quickly, right? And then I realized like, okay, yeah, it's obvious. This is where I'm going to play. Yeah. For sure, man. What, what what was that first thing initially? So I think what was interesting what you just said. Like you said, you always knew you was going to get into marketing, right? What was that thing that that triggered that, right? Like what was the thing in your childhood that was like, man, I need to do marketing? Yeah. So it's, you know, in some ways, I kind of like hate this uh, this thing because it sounds silly, but like. My, my dad was one of the earliest, earliest, like legitimate marketers back home in Oslo, Norway, right? Like, and that, that dude's, you know, that dude's real old. Um, so, you know, you're talking about a dude who had like a really kind of crazy upbringing, super working class, ended yeah. up working on these ships traveling around the world starting when he was 14, kind of yeah. messed him up and scarred him in many ways. But he came back, you know, years later and then he put himself through like seven years of school to make up for the stuff for the last few were like business and marketing. And it was like the early, early marketing stuff were like names like Philip Kotler and stuff were just yeah. like coming on the scene, you know, talking about this shit. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he ended up in a totally different business. He's big on, you know, uh, books, publishing, culture, like that kind of stuff. Wow. Um, but I just knew from there, there was something he kept telling me around like, you know, just making connections with people and telling stories and stuff like that, that, that did just resonate. And I think it was also, you know, there was nothing else really, right? Like it wasn't like I had all these role models and like there were these million things yeah. that I was debating between. It was just like, oh, that, that sounds pretty good. So like, I, I felt that, but I also think it's for me, um, I'm an introvert who plays the role of an extrovert and in marketing, we get to, that kind of works, you know, because we get to yeah. be behind the scenes. We're not really like, you know, so much like like you, you know, like you, you're yeah. really you're really doing your thing out there. I'm, I'm less comfortable in that role. 
Uh, but I get to think about some stuff. And yeah, I think that's how it happens, man. That, that's an amazing and shout out to your pops, man. Shout out, shout out to him, man, for, for being that role model for you, man, and, and putting you on the path. Because look what it's done for your life and your career, bro. I think that's amazing. And I, my, I have a saying, and I'm curious what your take on this. I feel like the best marketers and best salespeople also are musicians or creatives. Mm. I've always thought that. And I think your love of music also has a big part to play in why you're doing marketing and how to get out there. Because there's nothing like having a great product, but nobody listens to it. Like, so for me, I'm a rapper too, right? So I had the same thing. I'm like, I feel like I got the greatest music ever, but where the hell am I going to distribute this content? There was no SoundCloud. I was out there handing out CDs, same time CDs on the street. I sold 5,000 copies out the back of the car. It was crazy, man. And it was just like once digital took over, then that's what made me want to learn marketing. And I just happened to luck up and get into a display advertising company. And I'm like, it just clicked. All right. So we got to stay on that for a little bit. So first of all, um, so that is you on the intro, right? Yeah, that's my that's my my one of my best friends. He's doing the chorus, but I am on the song. And guys, no, I will be yes. dropping the video and Spotify all that shortly. <laughs> all right, cool. So like you, that's actually taken from a song that you've done, right? Like you are legitimately doing this stuff. That's yep. that's dope, man. Thanks. Yeah, bro. I mean, I'm I'm so like not there, right? As a as an art, like I would never even I can't even say that word about myself. But as you know, like I did actually record a song and put it out there. Exactly. I think for me, to your point, like it's the love and the and the kind of thorough appreciation for an art form, you know, like yes. I would agree because music is my shit has always been my my yeah. thing. But it's probably true for other art forms, too, where you have the ability. And I hadn't thought about it until you said this. So this is just like I'm just making this shit up as I'm saying this to you. But what it feels like right now as you're talking to me about it is that if you are able to truly connect with something that is created just from a human, right? Like art, like it's just at the very core of that is just a human is truly creating something off of inspiration. If you can appreciate that, tap into that, understand the connection that that can make with others. And you feel almost like this innate, like, like truly internal desire to help get that out somewhere like the artist that i grew up loving i wanted to be some sort of representative for almost right like you know the artists that aren't like the biggest artists but like you fuck with them so heavy and you're just like you're you're evangelizing the shit right and you have pride around that and i think there is something about that and then applying that either directly or indirectly to sales and marketing and coming from that kind of place because it's so real, too. If you felt it, you felt it, you know? That's it. That's it. That's what you're talking about? I know exactly what you mean, bro. And that's I think that's a great segue. Why the hell do you think brands can't do the same? At least in B2B. I feel like in B2C, there's more connection, there's more storytelling. But why in B2B do we have to stick to the same damn playbook? I feel like everybody's using the same playbook, rinse and repeat. You go from this company, you move to the other company, and it's just not enough creativity. And like, forgive you context, bro. Like, I used to work at Can Lions. So at Con, I don't even know how to pronounce it. Con Cans, we still Ooh, don't know. Knows. Yeah, who knows? I worked there for a year. So we still don't know. Hopefully we figure it out. But like, <laughs> <laughs> but basically, it was, and for those who don't know, it's basically the festival festival of creativity, right? So basically, we would go out there to south of France, all the big agencies, they come out there, Facebook, I mean, Meta, Google, all of them doing beach parties and all that stuff. And it was basically the value of creativity 
and how it's impacting your brand. And I feel like there's just not enough in B2B. And that's what made me want to get to the agency side. I'm like, man, I'm a rapper. I could, I can give me, give me a product or give me anything. I'll do anything with it. You know what I mean? And that's what made me love it. But I just feel like there's not enough creativity. It's not enough of daring to be different. Yeah. Well, look, I'll be the first one to say I don't have a great concise answer to that question, but I do think it's the question to ask. And so like, let's spend however long we need to spend breaking that down. Cause like we can probably learn from each other's thinking on this. I'll, I'll I'll start with a few things and you just hop in whenever you want to kind of add some shit to it. But I do think one of them is that, you know, brands are companies and they're not humans, right? Like, so the, there was a very, in, again, back to drift, my, my, uh, my, my love in this shit, right? So they, they, they engaged this guy named Jay Akunzo a few years back to create a podcast called Exceptions. And the whole series was about looking at B2B brands that truly were exceptions, that truly stood out. And at the end of it, he broke down the five main things that would make a B2B brand a real brand and real special. That's fire. Love the concept. It was really good, man. And it's like there's some hidden kind of like gold in there that I don't think enough people have uncovered. But one of the things, and we can get back to the other things, but one of the things was just people and faces. So it was really about like how do you – you know, in a very, and I'm, I'm starting to hate the word authentic, right? We say it so much and it's like, what the fuck yeah. does that mean anymore? The people who use it the most tend to be the least authentic and so forth, you know? But like, if you, if you are able to use people that are part of your organization in a truly authentic and reasonably creative way and actually put their faces out there, that's how you can create these kinds of connections, right? And that's how you can take do things that are creative, that are our brains on the receiving end are picking up as something other than the typical B2B marketing stuff. And again, you know, Drift was early on that stuff, right? Like they're actually taking people and putting faces up on the website and like not being afraid of the fact that, well, what do these people leave one day? It's like that, that didn't matter. You know, it was about, it was about these people, about these faces. So I think that's one part that, in order for a B2B brand to do something creative and special, it has to harness the creativity within its humans sure. and it can't be afraid of what happens if and when they leave or some other shit happens. Like you kind of got to roll with that. I think that's one thing. Great points. I think another thing totally different, but that I, I just have a beef with the idea of playbooks and frameworks, etc. right? Because- yeah. What is happening is that like people are coming into companies, you know, and even like as a marketing leader, I've made this mistake, right? Come in as the VP of marketing. Let me see the different playbooks I've ran before. Yeah. Let me see what this one. No, not this one. This one seems okay, right? This is like copy and paste mentality where it's like, well, you know, we're just going to fire this up over here. We're going to do this over here. We're going to do this. Yeah, no problem. You know, like no creativity really needed because I'm just like, I'm just, I got the playbook, you know? Yeah. And, and this has been a problem now because we've wanted to get to, you know, predictable revenue and like all this stuff. And so like there's playbooks for this shit, right? Like why reinvent the wheel? Well, like because it's really sometimes the only way that you can have real connections with other humans. Like right now there's a lot of B2B brands thriving 
But I tell you, man, there are very few that are actually doing anything that's actually different. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, bro. I want to hit on the first thing you made. I I want to make the first point you made was brilliant, right? So Drift was a first adopter of that, one of the early adopters, right? Like what DG and the team did over there was effing amazing, right? It was trailblazing, right? So they were just using their employees' voices and they were just using them as a different content distribution method. But DG has been able to build an audience and community of himself, just like the DG, I forgot the name of the the community he's built, but it's 46,000 marketers there. That's insane. That is more than most B2B brands have on their email email listings, right? That are real. And he gets real engagement, right? I think the next step of this and where we're kind of at this intercross and intersection now is how do you make, how do me as a creator, right? This is my biggest problem here, Jen. Tell me what you think. So if I'm working with every company, like for my last company I was working, I was working with an agency, right? I was building the brand. I started the LinkedIn stuff. I was generating views, generating sales, all that other stuff. Traffic coming back to the website is one of our top leading channels, right? How do I value that as a creator? That is the biggest problem because there's no way to track some of the stuff, even though I knew I was having impact, right? So if somebody comes in and sees my post and see me with the hat and the hoodie, they're like, holy shit, I want to go work with Jared because I think that's really cool. Maybe it's a cool culture there. If they let him be himself, I could be myself and then it could, I can really shine and thrive. The problem is, how do I track all of that stuff, right? How do you track the person who saw my post, went in, put in the application? How do I see somebody who's listening to the podcast right now? It's like, holy shit, I want to talk to Jared right now. Where would you go? You can't go to the Hootsuite website to get me. So like, how does that work? You know what I'm saying? And I think that's where we are. And I think for brands that really want to do that, I think they need to compensate the creators. That's my thing. I think if you're going to pay $10,000 for Google, or paid ads to give you traffic that isn't going to convert, but I'm waving the flag and bringing you qualified traffic that trusts my word. What is the value of that? Mm. Well, that's a powerful question, man. Yeah, um, you I'm know, struggling with it, bro. <laughs> you, you know, and and it's like um, it's like maybe the beginnings of a segue into a Web three conversation as well. Yes, but yes. But, but like. I'm really comfortable saying I don't know when I don't know, you know. Um, but what I what I am realizing is that there is there is a big challenge and opportunity around that, right? Yeah. What I see is that a lot of um, companies are, you know, benefiting quite significantly from you know uh, employees' personal brands and sort of yeah. you know their their own people as as creators. And I think the when I was talking about that that realization that like people and faces being used in B2B marketing is is one of the things that makes a brand stand out, I, w- I guess I wasn't really thinking about it as m- all the way in the direction that you're talking about it. But I think that's still the relevant way to go because this was also sure. a few, few years back when this was, was first talked about. Yeah. So I guess my take is, you know, is there a concern with, with sort of double dipping here, right? Like, That's a good you know, am, I, am I being compensated for being an employee and then I'm being compensated for doing something outside of my job description, but that also brings value? How, how do you reconcile that? I could see the, you know, some challenges there. Exactly. But, but the other way to look at it is just like, well, is there a way to bake stuff in? Right. Like this is, by the way, this is way outside of my, like way below, like sure. my pay grade. Right. Like, 
do you know should people be compensated more if they have like personal brands and networks and stuff like that should it just be sort of baked into comp i really don't know but what what is for sure happening is like we're absolutely moving to the place where the individual creator is starting to get the power and the leverage and the brand right. is starting to lose it right like for sure. no question about it and that's a really good thing like the way that that is leveling the playing field is a great thing we're as you're alluding to we're kind of in this funky like in between <laughs> stage right now where that hasn't been said at all yeah. like what so so what do you think right like what is the what would a company what would the ideal for you what would the ideal thing be for a company to actually do relative to all that I you think you hit on a great point because I, I do understand from a brand perspective, right? Like this is your job, but I'm also like if, if corporate was to tell me to go on go on to LinkedIn right now, share a story, share a blog, I probably wouldn't do it. I have to share my own voice, my own personal thing. But if we're able to track it and say, hey, you are doing this, like for instance, this month alone, I, I'm at what like a hundred, maybe like seventy-five thousand impressions. What does that mean? The CPM on LinkedIn is six dollars. $6 CPM per thousand impressions, right? So if you just want to add that up, like how do you incentivize it? Because the real value is, right? If I'm getting 75,000 views or impressions per month, how do you scale that and get 50 Jarrett's on your team? And what's the true value of that, right? Mm -hmm. And the only way you, in, you, you get people excited about it is by incentivizing them, right? So if you say Jared got an extra thousand dollars for 75,000, you know, impressions, you think somebody else in the organization is not going to be like, hey, well, I started in sales when I was 20 years old and I was doing this and that. they're going to start they're going to start spilling the beans. Right. And they're going to get excited. Right. So if you want people to wave the flag and if it to be authentic, because we all talk about the authenticity and share your story. But I think a lot of brands use it wrong where they're just like, hey, share this blog, share this blog. The problem is the employees don't give a damn about the blog. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that, that gets us into an interesting one where right where. I think the days of the company telling the employee what to share, if they aren't gone, they're about to be, right? Like yeah. that shit just doesn't really work. Exactly. One thing is to say, hey guys, we have this truly epic, massive thing happening. If you can find your way to authentically to you share something about that, great. Here are some of the facts. Feel free to pull from it. If you can do that, that's awesome. As, yeah. as a marketing leader, I'd love to do that, right? To truly right. empower the teams to say whatever they really want to say, like about the stuff, but in a way that that is connected to them, right? Like that's really, really powerful. That's the key. To to go the other way and say like, hey, please blast this out to your network. I mean, boy, I hope we're not playing that game for too much longer. I, I see it, man. I, I talk to people all day about it, man. And it's like, hey, how do you do this? Or how do I how do I challenge my team? How do I get my team excited? One, you can't. Right. Mm -hmm. So what I'm doing, and I'll be honest with you, I'm doing a lot of LinkedIn webinars and like personal branding sessions because it's one thing to hear from your communication specialist. And it's a totally different thing to see it from me. And I'm pulling up a whole deck and showing you statistics, showing you real sales that happened, showing you real conversations, real impressions. Right. And showing you a change in my life. It's a difference. You know what I mean? So that's where I think that's where it comes in. You just can't tell people and you have to make people want to do it. A lot of people are introverts and there's different personalities within your org. How do you drum up that interest? And who doesn't like money within the company? I don't care if you're in finance. I don't care if you're the SDR. I don't care if you're, you're executive leadership. Right. Yeah. Allocate five, 10 grand and make that your social fund. Yeah. 
You know what I mean? And just test some things out, see what happens. Make a leaderboard, make it fun. You know what I mean? And and see what happens. I would love to A B test that versus what has been done traditionally and see what really yields better results. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. Like just yesterday, um, like somebody I worked for way, way back, like at one of the few big companies I've been at, like way, uh-huh. way back, you know, uh, called me up and we were chatting and he's like, you know, I'm working with this client and they got, we're doing this podcast for them and, you know, um, trying to figure out like, how do we really promote this thing? How do we get an audience? Right. And I, and I said like, look, like, and not that I have all the answers here, but there's one pretty obvious answer, which is whatever employees are in that company that are either directly or sort of indirectly loosely involved with that podcast or tied to some of that content, yeah. like those people need to feel passionate enough about that content to where they want to share that stuff exactly. and they want to write kind of their version of some of the hot takes that were presented in each episode and get that out. Right. Yeah. And they were, you know, the, the, I don't know if there really is another way than to actually inspire the teams to say like, here's the thing, right? Like, everything is binary either we like the shit or we don't like the shit whether it's something on the inside of the company or outside of the company yeah i just believe we we like what we like right so if i work at a company and the ceo is doing a podcast and i think what he's talking about is truly uninteresting and like really just obvious shit and i'm just not with it there is no way i'm going to be out there sharing just on my own and there's no way you're going to get me to do it either, whether I'm paid for it or not, honestly. Like at that point, I'm just like, no, man, this, this isn't even right. On the yep. flip side, if there's some shit, like, man, if I was if I was one of those early Drift employees yeah. with that Seeking Wisdom hit, we're talking <laughs> like 16, 17, like to, I'd be proud to share that shit, right? Exactly. I think that's the other side of it is like, companies right like we as as the people in the businesses we need to like set the bar high for anything that's content related so like, true because content isn't about like what can we put out there to get people to buy our shit content is how can we actually get somebody to consume anything that we have to say that's right? that's that is bro i wish i could <laughs> <laughs> little sound of I need my where's my roadcaster when I need it, bro. Like what yeah. the hell? That was fire, bro. And that's so true. So yeah. true. Because it's always been the same. Hey, we just need to create content for the sake of creating content, and it's not based on what the customer wants. It's based on whatever the marketing person thinks the customer wants to hear, and that's the problem. I'll be the first to admit that I've made that mistake a bunch I think of times. We all have. We all have. That, yeah, that's and, what we thought. Yeah, and if I if I was like back in right now where I'm like, you know, running marketing in some tech company or something, I would probably run the risk of having somebody on the team do some bullshit content. Uh, Probably, right? But what we all can do is just like heighten our own awareness and sensitivity to it and say like, let's just keep trying harder. Let's let's keep trying to raise the bar there. Because I think that there's there's nothing really left in marketing other than content and distribution. That's it. Right. Like that, that's all that we are doing. We are finding a way to express something that we want to express. And then we are finding a way to get that message in front of the people that we want to get it in front of. And whether that's a fucking event, a CEO yeah. talking about something on a podcast, uh, an ad, like it doesn't matter. Like it, that's yeah. what it is. Right. 
Yeah. And so that bar is just something we all got to like keep raising it, keep raising that bar. Yes. And how you raise that bar is just challenging the status quo, guys. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I say this again, I would have never been on LinkedIn and me and Jorgen probably wouldn't be talking today if I didn't say, why the hell am I sending a thousand emails out with bad messaging? Mm-hmm. You know, because what my mind said for those who's listening is not about the emails. And yes, it knows it works. It traditionally works. Right. But out of those thousand people, I get five meetings. What about the nine hundred and ninety five people who got my email? See Jared Thomas on it and say, I never want to do business with this effing dude again or ever. You right? <laughs> so that's how I look at it. It's a numbers game, but the numbers don't equate. Right. If there's a better way to do it. And I hate the saying, but there's a million ways to skin a cat. Right. And we have to just challenge ourselves to do something different. Right. And I'm curious to you as a marketing leader, bro, like. What is the what would what would you say is the biggest marketing mistake you've made in your career, and what have you learned from it? I'm I'm not gonna just like. Well, I've I've made I've made a fuckload of mistakes. <laughs> Haven't we chill? Haven't we all, bro? That's so but, real. But I'm, I'm 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 telling you, right? Like it's. I'm very flattered that you have me on this chat, but I'm also not a highly accomplished guy who's won big time at multiple companies because I've fucked up a ton. That's it. Um, and uh, as as a lot of marketers, I've worked at pretty regular companies, a couple that you know really stood out and stuff. But okay, so in no particular order, uh, let me rattle off a few of them, right? And this is not that pretend like. Pretend self-deprecating shit. This is like the real, the real stuff, right? I love it, bro. Um, the 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 first one that comes to mind was something that happened, like I don't know, I want to say maybe like six, seven years into my career, where I was like head of marketing at at a pretty promising uh, SaaS company that later went on to be successful and stuff, and I I really stagnated and I couldn't figure out why. Like I, I just like I just couldn't really break through. And it, it wasn't until actually a couple of years later that I figured it out. And by the way, I ended up leaving the company because I thought like I was stagnated because of some other factors like CEO holding me back or some immature shit like that. And I yeah. went to another company that like ended up was like, oh well, now I can go from the director to the VP title over here. Like this is great for my ego. And then that well, by the way, that sucked, that gig. And so like Anyway, the, the lesson there was actually that I had stopped being proactive about my own learning. And I'm not just talking about learning about marketing. I'm talking about like, like actually figuring shit out, right? About like just basic human psychology, um, you know, kind of why we are, why, why we are the way, we, like, yeah, why we are the way we are, like just all the stuff. And, you know, Final shout out to Drift, that Seeking Wisdom podcast, you know, went deep into all of those types of things, right? Like, how do we become the best version of ourselves? And so my first mistake was to not actually um, be proactive about that journey and and not recognizing that that is an ongoing journey. Whether you are a big book reader or not, like, you know, I I have come to learn that that books really are the way for, for many of us. But even if that's not it, right? Like finding the right podcast, finding the right people on YouTube or on social or whatever, and consuming the right stuff. And then like challenging yourself as you're consuming it and going outside of the bubble of, of just like your field. Right. So that, that was an obvious one because it really did help. It it, it held me back in ways that I wasn't aware of at the time. Like it just became this blind spot. So that's one. 
The other one is really, really massive and it isn't really talked about, but this is a huge mistake that I've made several times and I, you know, will probably make it again or hopefully not, but <laughs> it's, it's not taking the time to decide with the rest of the leadership team about like at the highest level, how is this company going to grow? Like just directionally, right? Like, yes. is this going to continue to be a business that grows primarily from content and inbound, for example? Or is it like, are we truly at that stage where it's all about like as many SDRs? Like, which one is it? And for how long are we in that stage, et cetera? Because if you start getting into like your own cute little marketing strategies and planning and start executing without having aligned with the rest of the leadership team and the CEO on the more fundamental approach, then it's all going to fall down. And that's what it's done most of the time for me, honestly, because I'm romantic about the type of marketing that I think is dope, you know? So I'm like, yeah, I kind of want to do some of this shit, you know? Yeah. And it doesn't actually line up with how the rest of the company is structured to attract the growth that it needs. And then it, it doesn't work. That's such a heavy one, man. That 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 is real, man. That That is so real, bro. And I wonder why those conversations don't happen, man. Like seriously, like at the, at the growth level, I'll tell you my biggest mistake or learning throughout my career was, I wish I would have been, been myself from jump. Dude. That that was that's probably if I'm listening talking to a 22 year old, I wish I'd have been myself. I had the phone voice, bro. I thought I had to be a specific way. I thought I had to dress a specific way. I thought I had to, you know, play the game, man. And as a 33 year old man, man, and that's what happened during the pandemic. I was just tired of the game, bro. I was tired of it, man. And just and one day, just stuck to me. It's like I'm I'm done. I'm not doing that shit. I lost. I failed. I tried your way. Guess what? If I'm gonna lose, let me try my way. And just for shits and giggles, let me just try my way, see what happens. Let me be myself because something that the CEO said at the last company that was real was like, man, if they're not going to do business with you like this, chances are they weren't going to do business with you anyway. So why are you wasting your time on it? And I'm like, it makes sense to me, man. So that was the biggest one in my career. It's just not challenging the status quo earlier. So let, let me ask you about that, right? And And like, Truly apologies in advance if this is uncomfortable in any kind of no, way. No, no. I, re I refuse to not be real about this shit. What's that? Like, how, like when you say bringing your whole self, what does it really mean, right? Like, That's are we point. talking culture, you know, like like you being a rapper? Like, what, yes. like you know, like tell me more about it because yeah. this, this is the realest shit. Yeah, like could I could I've been like, for instance, right? Like I had a... I had a, my first sales job with display advertising company. You know, we were right next door to DJ Premier Studio D and D. We right, right, next door, D &D? right next door to D and D. I would go on lunch breaks and go kick it with Primo, like so. But I couldn't do that. Like, how how does that sound? Like, I'm sitting there chilling at D and D studios, and I'm coming back and making a hundred cold calls. That shit was whack. And it's like I wanted like my, me being me being my authentic self is just like this is who I am, and me being confident and asking questions. I wasn't secure of myself at that point where even though I know something was bullshit, I wouldn't raise my hand to say that was bullshit because I wanted the 40K check and that was the first time I was on salary and I got a two-year-old. So it was like, shut up, play the game and do what you do. Yeah. But if I would ask that question earlier, who's to say I wouldn't have been a VP, a CMO or something like that with those learnings and challenging it? Let's just 
for the people who might be listening to this, who might not know who Primo is, let's just yeah. say DJ Premier is truly one of the greatest oh. producers of all oh. time, irrespective of genre. I don't give a fuck what other yeah. kind of music you're listening to. <laughs> yeah. DJ Premier, one half a gang star, you know, like that. Th what he did, like, and I want to say like, like 94 to 97, especially to me is like that magical era from yeah. mass appeal with Gangstar into like yeah. Group Home and like J Rune, like all that stuff. And then getting into doing the Nas records and doing yeah. the JC record here and there. Yeah, um, man. Primo, yeah, that's, that was a crazy experience. And shout out to Tommy McMaster, the one who just commented. He was my sales leader at that place he's trained me and all that yeah. so me and tommy like that's my boy from back man so much love yeah. for you tommy but like that's that was the real thing man. Yeah. he's one of my guys from day one but it was just like why can't i be that right yeah why can't I come back and be like yeah i'm taking an extra 15 minutes to, to work on my stuff i'm doing this or doing that just being myself man i was in a boiler room atmosphere where if you didn't hit your number by friday you were gone by monday so yeah. i had no shit, I, I i didn't have the privilege to challenge anything at that point but at the on the flip side if I didn't, if I if I wouldn't have done that, who's to say I would have learned what I've learned now, right? Because the failure is the best experience, is the best teacher. So me yeah. going through those experiences and failing made me confident to say now, chest out, head high, like I am me. And if you don't like me, guess what? Mm -hmm. Somebody me up because I know I'm real. I know I'm a good person. I know I'm a good dad. I know I, I know I know my shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I wonder. On that note, I wonder if like when you're in your early twenties and you're just kind of like getting at it, right, and 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 going for it. What, what is better, right? Is it better to just like be convinced out the gate that like being 100% you is the way and you just start like that? Or is it actually in the long run more powerful to have done it sort of the wrong way and learn from that and like gotten convinced like really properly? I don't know. But I, I do think that we are trending in the right direction with this, right? Where like and if you look at like even before us, right, think about like working in business, the mold that you had to fit into, no matter what, like, you know, no matter what you were into or what you look like or work, what country you're from, like everybody was really kind of needing to be the same. Right. Exactly. I think we've come a long way now with the era we're in, but it's just kind of interesting. Like, I, I think there is value in having had the experience of like, shit, I really I was really kind of like hiding there and now I'm not because then, you know, we're out with even more confidence perhaps. No, that, it's, it's a balance, man. Like, like I think we're getting to a point where my 14 year old, when he comes into the space, he's going to be able to be himself right out the gate. Cause there's so much information and so many things that are happening. Like when I was doing display ads and like, what was it? Like, Oh, eight was the wild, wild west. There wasn't barely IAB stuff. And all. Ad sizes were all over the place. Money was being thrown. It was just crazy times, right? But it's not going to be like, and kind of social and web 3.0 is going to be like that, right? But he's going to have the opportunity to come into any organization based on the things that we're doing today, right? Wearing the hat, wearing the hoodie, being on LinkedIn, getting the impressions where it's like, man, I'm going to look at talent differently. And you need those diverse voices in your organization to make some change. You can't be the same voice the same thing, the same topic, the same tone. That's how you get creativity. And that's how you really scale a business. Yeah, man. Amen, man. Amen. And at the risk of sounding super corny and taking myself way too seriously, I will just say this. So I have two boys, right? I have a two-year-old and a six-year-old. Yes. And um, one of the reasons, and I, it's just it's just kind of corny to say this, but like one of the reasons why I was just sort of bold enough to say like, I'm going to write this song. I'm going to like record this. I'm going to actually put that out there 
was just so that at some point, like these boys are going to be like, man, can you believe our square ass dad, you know, like in his, in his forties was out there trying to rap and stuff like, he has no business doing that. But like, so they're going to clown the shit out of it. Right. But at the same time, they're going to be like, Oh man, he really didn't give a fuck, huh? Like he, like he He went went for it. Yeah. You know, like he was just doing like that, that meant something to him. And like, so I think like, you know, getting into like, (laughs) not that we are necessarily the guys to give all the parenting advice, but you know, but why not? Right. So um, I just think like, if we can, now that we have kids, right. If we can show them that we are bringing our true self to whatever we're doing, that's the best thing we can do, you know? And if we have passion and if we have kindness mixed in with that, then man, like we're doing our thing, man. Like you're doing your thing, man. Thanks, bro. It means a lot, man. I I was telling, I forgot who I spoke spoke to about this, but I was like, man, how can I tell my son he can be whatever he want to be if I'm not trying to be whoever the hell I'm trying to be? Like, how how can, like, it's just a contradiction, bro. So like, I can't say be yourself, kid, and do this, and you can be a a rocket engineer and all that shit, and I'm, I'm afraid to be myself in sales and tech. Yeah. Come on, man. Yeah, there you go. Way to go. So I, I got to ask you though. I got it. So we've we've danced around, you know, hip hop and stuff. But I, I do yeah. need to ask you, what? Who, who are your favorites, man? Like all time? Can we just have like a three minute conversation about? Yeah, yeah, bro. Uh, for sure. So you know, I'm an East Coast guy. So my favorite rapper of all time is, of course, Hov. I'm a Hov fan. I love Fabulous. I used to my one of my favorite rappers back in the day was Joe Buttons before he did the podcasting. When we used to think he was Rasheed Wallace and and uh, I forgot to remember those days on the mixtape circuit area uh, era. I used to love Clue tapes. I used to you know listen to cannabis freestyles on Monday. You remember those those Monday mixtapes? I used to have my yes. cassette deck. My brother would do it. I have to sneak in. But my mom is like, go to sleep, take your ass to bed and all that. That, that mm. Those are my days. So I love my top five would be Biggie, Jay-Z. Um, I love Fabulous. I love Jadakiss. And if I'm going 90s, I love Cannabis. Wow. I love his lyricism. Yeah, that was, yeah, it's undeniable. Like, it's, yeah, it's tough to beat that. Do you have, so do you have love for down south and or west coast, either LA or Bay? Like to the point where you have some real favorites there from any era. If, if any era, I, I gotta say Pac because me and him born the same birthday. Me actually for West Coast Kendrick and Pac, we're both all born on the same birthday. It's crazy, June sixteenth. Um, but really, I never really listened to a lot of West Coast stuff because I'm a big lyricist guy. And you know the the it was a vibe. It's vibe music, right? Like say like E40. Like if you're not from the Bay Area, you're not gonna get it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like you're not going to same thing like they say with Fabulous. They're like Fabulous. He's wearing a bandana of a of a paper towel. Down. Yeah, right? And we're listening to this dude like get out of here. So that's just how it is. And down south, I love like T.I. Luda. Luda's the most underrated rapper of all time. Mm-hmm. I think I love Two Chains. Like people like those, man. I just love anybody with some lyricism. Wheezy. I just love lyricism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel you, man. Man, when Fabulous had the paper, the the big diamond with the paper towel, that contrast. The first Fabulous, though, the, um, the that was, like, incredible. Like, that yeah. was, like, 2001. I, I actually lived in New York the fall of 2001. And so, like, I'm dating the fuck out of myself here. But, like, that was an incredible, like, like debut album. Oh, it was. Yeah. On 9-11. Remember. On 9-11, right? On the craziest day same, ever. Same day as Hove. Yep. Blueprint. Blueprint. Yep. Classic. I was Blueprint. there. Yeah, I was there. And I think did that Michael Jackson out like there was something 
It was another big one. I know what you're talking about. It was another. Yeah, well, it was around the time too. Like, was that the year that Jay Z brought Michael Jackson out at Summer Jam? Like that. Yeah, there was some big stuff going on. Anyway, yeah, man, 2001. What else are we talking about, man? What else we? What are we wrapping up with? Are you good? Actually, I have have a stop in like five minutes, bro. I want to do a part two with you, bro, because I need. I want to go through some Web 3.0 stuff, and I think the ownership and and like just the ideas and the conversation we're having right now, bro. The vibe and the energy is just so real, bro. So I've got to get you back on, bro. But like, I just want to tell you, man. Um, I know you thank me for for bringing you on the platform, bro. But this is why I wanted to create this, man. It's not going to be another show where you could be like, man. I had my, I had fun. I was myself, man. I was doing me. I was on the same show as Udi or somebody else, man. And I just want regular people to have real ass conversations. And because we all have something special, man. Like I learned a lot from you today, bro. Like so, that's is what it's about, man. So I thank you for coming on the show. You know, dropping your wisdom, brother. I'm a huge fan of yours, even more now that we finally met, bro. And you know, you know, you got a friend in me, man. You're ever on New York ATL, man. Give me your number, bro. You know, you're gonna have my number, but like. Pull up on me, man. We're going to meet in person, bro. So much love, man, and, and rooting for you. Oh, man. Likewise, man. Come out here to L.A., man. The West Coast. It's nice out here. But I do. Trust me. I got, I got some stuff for you. We're going we to kick it, bro. <laughs> man, I love it, man. Thank you. Thank you, bro. And for everybody watching, thank you guys. Tommy, uh, everybody else, man, I love you guys. Thank you for the continued support, man. I, you know, you guys give me the you know, the, the win to keep going, man, even on tough days. And I really appreciate you guys. And next week we got a crazy episode uh, with a dude named Phil Johnson who's actually a motivational speaker. And we're talking about betting on yourself and how to shift your mindset. Right. So I don't know if you know, I'm doing a TEDx next year. I'm trying to do a TEDx and it's all going to be about betting on yourself. Right. So how can somebody from the Bronx like me get into tech? But the guys I went to school with, right, they went this way, right? And I went this way. But why is it? Is it because of how we were born? Or is it a mindset? And how do we shift that? So that's going to be a real one. So it's going to be a goodie. Um, Yorgen, brother, always thank you again, man. And thank you for everybody, man. I love you guys. And we'll see you guys next week. My brother.